Adyak. You're listening to Adyak. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Our mission is to inspire creativity and enhance the professional development of the advertising and marketing communities where we live and work. I'm your host, Bill Childs, and I'll talk with artists, designers, writers, directors, photographers, along with those who work in a creative capacity. Our aim here is to serve as a creative resource to help you stay informed, entertained, and above all, inspired. But first, I want to thank ASR Media. We appreciate your support and collaboration. One of the topics I love to discuss on Adyak is leadership. Today on the podcast, I will explore this topic in depth with best-selling authors Katie Desiderio and Michael Frino. Frino oversees human capital development for a Fortune 500 company, a leadership author, a performance researcher, and an adjunct professor. Desiderio is an assistant vice president of corporate educational partnerships, a tenured professor of management at Moravian University, a partner in learning, and now a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. The duo have co-authored an excellent new book about leadership and transformational growth that looks to bees for its inspiration. The book is called The Beekeeper, Pollinating Your Organization for Transformative Growth. Katie and Michael sketched out the original concept behind their first book after publishing in academic journals for over a decade since earning their doctorate degrees in organizational learning and leadership. Little did they know then, but 18 days after their pizza box brainstorm, UN World Bee Day was established to protect and preserve our great pollinators who provide growth for all of us. The book uses the story of an inspiring beekeeper and how we can all learn from how bees structure and operate their hives. We talk about organizational structure, how we can all take better care of each other at work, and how big things will happen when we all work towards a common goal. I've read many business books over the years, and this one is at the top of my recommended list. Fun fact, I was introduced to Katie for the first time in May of 2017 when she gave a commencement address during my daughter's graduation from Moravian University. It was while listening to her meaningful words about enjoying the present moment and feeling grateful that I could shift my mood. Even though I was upset about having terrible seats and being soaked from the rain that fell earlier in the day, her impactful words helped me change my mindset. She allowed me to witness and celebrate my daughter's accomplishments with the proper attitude. To me, that's why Katie is such a great leader. We talk about that commencement address, the power of positive change, growth mindsets, creativity, and company culture, and how we can all learn what it means to place ourselves at the core of learning and growth for people in our organization. Prepare to be inspired, entertained, and enlightened. Here is my Adyak with Katie Desiderio and Michael Frino. All right. Well, welcome, guys. Uh, this is exciting. Today on the podcast on Adyak is Katie Desiderio and Michael Frino. Uh, co-authors of a wonderful book that I read uh, over the summer called The Beekeeper. And I'm excited to have you guys here because th this, you know, I love the topic of leadership. Creativity, leadership, marketing, branding, all of it, it all goes together. So welcome guys to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. us. So I want to start with, um, Katie, I know you from, you know, your work at Moravian and 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 uh, I've spoken in your class several times. Michael, I don't know you. So why don't we start with you, Michael? Give, give me a little uh, background story, a bio of, um, you know, your work history and, and how you got, you know, to where you are today. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am, um, you know, I work in the sales space. So I've been a sales guy for, oh, geez, 25 years now. Um, started off in the the, the benefits payroll uh, industry, you know, moved into pharmaceutical sales and and then in the medical device sales. And um, more recently, I've taken on some roles as, in leadership development. So work, um, you know, in corporate America, running leadership development, management development. And so, you know, my background really goes, you know, when I met Katie um, through academics, we met during our doctorate program. So mm -hmm. her and I have been publishing for a long time together and, our relationship then transformed into like, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's think about writing a book and not just do academic journals. And that's kind of the impetus for, 
you know, how we ended up writing this book together, but, but I, I do work in leadership development space and organizational development. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Katie, how about, how about you? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Bill, I work as a faculty member in the school of business at Moravian university. Um, I've been there since 2009 and I also do, you know, leadership development, uh, consulting work. And in that space, you know, in kind of where my two worlds collide, I'm able to have kind of one foot in industry and then one foot in like the kind of scholarship space. And that's played a pivotal role in, to Mike's point, in the way that we've written, um, really kind of combining a scholar practitioner approach to academic journals, always saying like, we want the transfer, we want people to be able to use it. But then what really inspired the approach that we took in writing a leadership fable, which we're excited to talk about today. Yeah, I got, I really got into the book. I almost, once I started reading it, I, I had to, I couldn't stop, which mm-hmm. is, you know, so we love I, to I hear that. Story, uh, <laughs> uh, Katie, how you and I met, uh, Michael, I think you're going to get a kick out of this. Although maybe you'll be like, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So my daughter, uh, my first daughter graduated from Arabian and went to her graduation. It was in 2017. And, you know, these graduations can tend to get a little long with, uh, you know, the reading of the names and everything, right? I'm there to hear one name, right? So this day, it was torrential rain, pouring torrential rain. We get there, we're a little late, and we can't find parking. So the day is already starting to kind of like unwind. And for whatever reason, I'm just, I'm in a mood. I'm just cranky. You know, I can just feel it coming on, you know, and I'm trying to keep a a happy, you know, disposition for my daughter's graduation, but I'm just, it's not working. My feet are getting soaked while we're walking to the gym. We get into the gym and we're sitting on bleachers. I'm sitting on these like wooden bleachers and I'm like, oh my God, this is where I'm going to be sitting for the next four hours. Right. So the ceremony kind of starts and everything. And it's, I'm just like, I'm dreading this. I don't know why I'm just dreading it. And then all of a sudden they introduce uh, Katie. And I can't even see her. That's how far back I am. And she starts doing an exercise with everyone about breathing and mindfulness. And right away, I'm like, what the heck is going on? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't expect to like be be closing my eyes and and picturing, you know, she walked us through it. It was amazing. And it it was this whole thing about think about how amazing this day is. And you're here for this and be mindful, be present. And it just, it shook me out of my funk, shook me out of my funk. And uh, I know you did the rest of the the, the talk um, and w- what you did. And, and I enjoyed the day. I, you, you kind of, and, and then I, 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 I sought you out afterwards because I was writing a column at the time for the morning call, a, a weekly column on creativity in business. And, and, and I said, I want to do a column on you. And we did a column called uh, finding sunshine through a rainy day. And that's how, that's how we met. So I met her through a mindfulness exercise at a graduation ceremony. That's how I met you. Universe moment, right? (laughs) Right. If that's not like the universe saying, you guys should like probably Mm. like know each other. I don't know. So, so Michael, just uh, by me knowing that, you you know, you know, Katie and you co-authored a book together, you know, you're you're in my tribe now. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Not surprised (laughs) about that too. She's helped me through many of those situations. It's amazing. Um, okay, let's let's get into this. I want to find out um, how did the book come together. How, what was the genesis of of the book, and how did it? How did you two decide that you're going to write it together? Because that's not an easy thing. Usually, writing sometimes is a very solitary act, you know. So, how did you guys manage just to to kind of work together to write the book? And and really, the second part or the first part of that question was, what was the genesis of the book? What made you want to write it? Yeah, so I think Mike mentioned, you know, we've been working together for over a decade, um, co-authoring, collaborating, right, kind of um, reimagining. We recognize in the course of, you know, writing together that, you know, this is kind of like, and, and we draw on this a little bit, is like the deep level diversity attributes of humans, right? So Mike and I, same training, right, went through the same doctoral program, right, align in so many ways, but look at the world and, you know, the way that we approach things in life, the way we prioritize energy different. And so there's a space for us to kind of be present as we learn about each other. And I think in that space, that's helped us to imagine, you know, where we've gotten in the progression of our writing together, but also in this space of, you know, the beekeeper coming to life. And so, you know, I really started and I kind of came to Mike and said, 
you know, I, I have to write a book for my next promotion at Moravian university to go up for full professor, you know, like, what do you think about that? And at first he was like, Oh, well, you know, like, let's talk about it. Um, and, and we started talking about a traditional leadership book and, um, and this is kind of a funny story, Bill, Mike and I live thousands of miles away from each other. He's in South Florida and I'm in Pennsylvania. And we were both in Chicago for work for different reasons, like 30 minutes apart. We're like, we have to get together for dinner. Let's meet in the middle. You know, we'll have Chicago pizza. Let's talk about this book. And we sat down and it was really Mike, right? Who was like, you know, what about bees? So I was telling him that in my consulting space, I was hearing a lot of like resonance with storytelling. And he was like, what about bees? You know, like bees help things grow. And so we got on this kick and we literally have the image of the back of the pizza box where we drew oh, out kind of what this book could look like. And so we saved it. We were like, okay, well, this, this might be a really cool concept that maybe we think about a story and we use the undertone of learning from bees to kind of pull in our leadership theories, right? The undertone of what those takeaways could be, but in a way that's like digestible and people can kind of like read it and immediately put it into action. And then we left Chicago and 18 days later, like Mike sends me a text message and it's like UN World Bee Day. And he was like, oh my, like talk about universe. Right? Mm -hmm. like, the bees are talking to us. And so yeah. it really just spiraled. Like we were inspired. Things kind of just started to make sense and fall into place of all of the discussions that happened like the previous year. And we just like really kind of dove in two feet. So Mike, did I miss anything there? No, that, that was spot on. It definitely universal yeah. moment. So, yeah. It's amazing. It really, you know, there's so many business books, so many leadership books out there, right? And I don't know, like, I, and I know a lot about them and I read a lot about them, of them. I read them. And this one just, it just, it just seeped in. It just cut through like all that noise. And I started reading it and I just got captivated. It just, I, I can't, it just pulled me in. I really, I really enjoyed this, the way, you wove the story, you know, with each chapter being, you know, the, the, the 13, uh, you know, be, be vulnerable, be appreciative, be grateful. And then how she's the, the main character is kind of like at this farm taking a vacation, but then sending back the messages to her organization. Um, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful book. And the book is called, uh, the beekeeper pollinating your organization for transformative growth, a leadership fable, which yeah. I, I just, I love it. I love it. So bravo guys. Thank you. The book is really, Thanks. really great. I was surprised, Katie, when I saw the the, the chapters and I went in and I, I was immediately looking for, and you know what I'm going to say here, I was looking for where's the one on Be Creative, right? <laughs> so maybe, in, maybe in the second round, we, uh, we scoop that one up because that's, that's a big topic for but me. But Bill, I want to I wanna just um, pull on that thread for a moment that mm -hmm. um, I love that you kind of extracted that and you're calling that out because this is something we want to inspire readers to think about the B mindsets that we have in the book, right? Have obvious leadership learnings and undertones, but we want readers to think about B mindsets that aren't there. We're not limited to the B mindsets that are in the book. And so for someone like you, right? In that creative space, right? The B creative is something that fuels the way that you're able to be curious and the way that you're able to be nourished and the way that you're able to be transformational, right? So, so for that piece, it's about the reflection, right? Like what's resonating, but like, how do I enact this, right? As Bill Childs. Right, right. I want to ask Michael, like, what do you, what's been your feedback on your, the feedback on your end um, from, you know, your, you know, colleagues who, who maybe have read the book? Yeah, it's, it's super humbling to, um, really really interesting you know when we launched you know really you don't know what's what's going to happen when you when you launch a book but um i think humbling is really the appropriate word you know across industries whether it's salespeople, sales leaders whether it's um educators whether it's you know sports teams and athletic directors i mean we are getting a lot of interest in just the message so seeing the reviews on you know amazon and seeing the reviews come through on email it's just been really awesome to see so it Regardless of industry, I think people are gravitating to kind of the message in, in the beekeeper about how you can kind of, you know, put yourself at the center of someone's growth and and help an organization, a team, an individual grow. And then, you know, from an age group perspective, even, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, kids, 
uh, student athletes uh, pick up the book and and kind of have it resonate with them as well. So um, we're seeing a lot of different uh, di- different ways people are using it. In fact, it was just at a book club this week um, with with a no- number of, of female entrepreneurs that we we did a, a session on, and it was really great to to see. Um, Katie and I have been kind of talking about you know, what do these conversations look like when people want to engage in in using this uh, through their book clubs. So um, wide variety of uh, you know, age groups, genders, and, uh, and, and obviously certainly, um, industry. What I also liked about in the book too, is when it gets to the end and she kind of goes back to the, to the company, you know, she's met with a little resistance, which Mm -hmm. we have to be, we have to talk about because not everybody's going to be, you know, not everybody walks through the world with an open heart and an open mind and reads a book like this and says, yeah, let's do it. You know, there's those, those naysayers, those people that are just like, you know, so what what um what I want to ask is do you guys have you guys ever worked in like what I what would be considered like a toxic environment? And what was your experience with that? And how did you navigate it? What what you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I could take this one um and and I'll say yes, I have. And you know, I actually just had a conversation with someone recently about this because you know, I think sometimes like uh our training, right, in leadership development it is a blessing and a curse, right? So (laughs) there's also high accountability for we better enact what we espouse to teach and to, right, encourage people to do as leaders. And so in this specific instance, you know, working with a toxic leader, um, I I actually felt the emotional responses personally. And um, it, it was actually a great moment for me to learn about myself and to learn about what I care about and the passion that I put behind my work. But it also goes back to that space of, you know, we, we can't wallow in our own self-misery and um, we have to be part of the change. And so it took me time, right. And leaning on the members of my star system to acknowledge that there were real emotions tied to the impact of working with an emotional or, or a toxic leader, Um, But then also, what am I going to do about it? I'm not going to sit back and admire the problem, right? But how do I become part of the solution? And that's really about taking care of the people around me to make sure that we're progressing. So there was a space there of like, even when I'm in like coaching, um, you know, how am I putting myself in, in the shoes of people who are saying like, I work in a toxic environment. How do we unpack this? Right. And I could draw on some of that experience, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to think about that. How about you, Michael? Yeah, you know, I think um, there's always elements of, you know, opportunities to get better as as organizations. Worked in a lot of different companies. Certainly, you know, leaders and managers uh, have an opportunity to kind of think through how they're working with their teams and and what kind of environment they're creating. Um, and so, yeah, when it does happen and when we do see kind of a, a cultural shift from, you know, hey, this may have some cultural implications. You know, I think in, interventions are really important and catching that early. And making sure that someone is placing themselves, kind of going back to the theme of the book, at the at the center of that cultural uh, transformation, and saying, "Hey, you know, we've we've identified this opportunity, and now we need to kind of act on it to make sure it, it doesn't doesn't get toxic." But I think it's that awareness of, "Hey, could this could this be a a cultural problem down the road?" and, and addressing it very quickly and swiftly so it doesn't kind of permeate through the organization. Well, they, they, they say that the number one reason people will leave a job is because of a bad boss, it's not money. It's not opportunity. It's not, you know, the work or, or the company it's, it's usually a bad boss. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what I think lesson that I got from the book is that the bees all know what they need to do and they do it and they work together. Now that sounds very simple. Right. That sounds like almost like ridiculously simple. And but yet, you know, you bring in the human element and we complicate it. We complicate it. So ego comes into play. Right. Um, And it just things get very sticky and very weird, very fast. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think that that there's so much more we can all do if we all just work together. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but I think that's the message of the book work together, know what your role is, you know, support each other, help each other. Um, and all those things, be vulnerable, be curious, be, you know, empathetic, uh, things that they don't, you know, I don't think they really teach, uh, 
maybe they do now. I mean, Katie, you could talk to this in business. I mean, in, in, are you teaching that in your class? I would imagine you would be, right? Yeah, how, yeah. Empathetic, how to, you know, let go of your ego. Don't, you know, don't let that drive your decisions. You know, be more vulnerable. People get very comfortable, uncomfortable with vulnerability, right? Yeah. You know, you yeah. go to meetings sometimes, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, where one of the greatest things a leader can do is if a question comes up that they don't know the answer to, say, I don't know the answer. Yeah, right? know. don't escalate commitment to the wrong thing. You're absolutely right. 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 <laughs> and you, you can build, and you know what? I don't, I don't know a lot about that. Can you teach me? Will you show me? And now you got the, the person that you're working with, you know, you're building trust. They're going to want to help you learn about that problem. It just, it just kind of builds off itself. But so many people in leadership positions feel they have to have all the answers. Because that's yeah, why they're in that position. They need to have all those answers. And I say, no, you don't be open. You're to so them. right. Yeah. And, and Bill, you, you know, you're kind of pulling on, you know, and you mentioned this earlier that, you know, effective leaders really, and these are your words, right? Have an open heart and open mind. And in that space, right? One of the chapters is be growth minded. But that's really that, you know, it goes back to Mike's message of the art of being, learning to be proximal is about keeping yourself at the core, you know, at the heart mm -hmm. of learning and growth. And as leaders, we have to be mindful, you know, and I'm always really challenged in this space as a mom, right, to a nine and 11 year old that um, they both want to be treated different than I do. They both learn different than I do. They see the world different than I do. And so how do I show up as their mom and learn with them, right? And then that's transferred into how we work with adults, right? To say like, well, that's an interesting perspective because you know that's not necessarily how I see it, but how do I listen to understand instead of listen to respond to kind of welcome those differences? But two, we're not gonna do that in an environment that's not safe. And so the role of the beekeeper is to create that safe environment for the bees to do what they do best, and that's to work together. Um, and so in those opportunities, right, we really have to think about that foundational piece, because in a lot of ways, people are fearful to say, I don't know, right? And so we go back to that space that we're creating, that people can really show up to learn and grow every day, right, to just try to be better tomorrow. Yeah. What about uh, Michael? You can take this question. Um, tell me about a, a leader that you worked with that that uh, inspired you, or the, uh, an inspiring leader you admire. Could be someone you worked with, or maybe it's someone you haven't worked with. Yeah, a leader. Sure. That I think it inspires you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many different ways to think about inspiration. Um, you know, I think you know it's really important in in organizations in general for us to encourage leaders to share kind of their, their framework or leadership philosophy, or, you know, what kind of inspired them. And, you know, when we do that at a, at a, at a corporate level and get people creating that environment of vulnerability where they're sharing who, who they are and how, how they lead, it really kind of gives you some insights into different perspectives. And I, and, and I can remember one leader in particular, um, you know, inspired me to kind of get out of my comfort zone. Um, and you can get very complacent in, in doing what you're doing and apathetic and, and just like, you know, going through the motions and by putting yourself in a, in a, in challenging situations, it really helps you grow. And the analogy that, that he used was, you know, to kind of put yourself in the deep end of the pool where you're always treading water and you're not comfortable sitting, lounging around. And that's when, that's when the best, best growth happens. And so I've always kind of taken that. Um, mindset of when I feel like I'm comfortable is to like put, put myself in a new role or a, a new job or take a stretch assignment or do something different that is going to challenge me to help me grow. And Katie and I publish a lot on this in, in the space of flow. And, and that that's kind of the impetus for that, right? When you, when you put yourself in a situation where you don't have the, the skills and the knowledge to meet the challenge, you quickly start growing and developing those. And, and that's when you get in the zone. Um, and, and so it's, uh, I think the leader who inspired me, um, you know, probably provided that that's probably the best guidance I've gotten. Um, that's helped me grow personally and professionally and inspired me. Okay. Katie, how about you? Yeah. So I'm thinking as Mike was talking, so many people have influenced and touched my life, but I go back to, you know, a college faculty member who is really the reason that I ended up going into academia. So, you know, I was working six and a half years in corporate marketing and she called me 
and said, I want you to come back and teach a sport marketing class. And I said, no, five times before I said yes. And, you know, in, in the spirit of what Mike just shared, like I really moved myself right at way out of my comfort zone. And also, you know, as a Pygmalion effect moment that like, I didn't see the things that she saw in me. And, you know, she then inspired action where then I started to believe in myself and then it propelled, right. I mean, going into something I love so much, like, I can't imagine if I stayed in the career I was in, right. Because I didn't have near the passion for the work that I do today. And so, so much of that I think has fueled how I lead, how I work with students, how I identify the things I see in people to help them believe in themselves to continue to kind of, you know, that ripple effect. It's amazing. Back to my, what Michael was saying, I have a phrase, the phrase that I always think of is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think I've yep. used that in my presentations in your class yep. already. Yep. Um, I want to ask, uh, and maybe Michael, you can take this one. Uh, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing leaders today as new generations enter the workforce? Yeah, this is a great question. And we talk a lot about this in general. I, I think self-awareness and, and recognition of, you know, kind of these these deep level diversity attributes that that people bring to the table, you know, oftentimes we're we're thinking about, you know, maybe maybe they're the the intelligence of someone. Can they do the job? But we really don't dive deep enough what's under the surface and what's informed individuals and what what makes them tick and what drives them and motivates them. And we may have a perception of, you know, the different generations. And I also think that's probably wrong approach, you know, because there's a lot of literature on that. And you know, it's really getting to know the the people who they are as human beings to to really make those decisions versus versus generalizing, you know, in these these big swooping you know buckets of this is they're part of this generation, so they must do this. And 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 while that there's probably some, you know, accuracy to some of those behaviors. I mean, it's really the human being that's going to mm-hmm. you know dictate how they they want to be treated. And that goes back to what Katie mentioned about really un, uh, unlearning a little bit of like oh treat people the way you know they want to be treated. Um, or you want to be treated, but but in, instead treat them as they want to be treated, and that's getting to know the, the person regardless of you know what generation they're in. So I think or, organizations and companies need to kind of take a step back and say, are we generalizing? How do we kind of um, sit down and, and talk to the person and find out what they need and and how they can best contribute to our culture, um, you know, as a, as an organization. Right. Katie, how about you? <clears throat> yeah, I want to I want to um, add to what Mike just shared, and you know that comes down to you know, let's remove ego. Um, and when we're bringing, right, especially younger people into the organization, let's create a space that we could lead from every seat, right? How do we share talents? How do we learn from each other? How do we create a space where you could say like, wow, you know, like I never experienced that in all my years of work. And I love that you're bringing in this perspective, like show me, right? Help me understand what's the resonance there. Um, but that's also the space of like putting aside, you know, like, well, I've been here for so many, like, you know, let's never use that that phrase. And to Mike's point, let's come in, right? What's harder for adults than learning is unlearning. But that's, that takes that place of, you know, your ability and willingness to be vulnerable, to say like, well, I never thought of it that way, right? Great perspective. And maybe, and you'll appreciate this in the work that you do, like maybe that message will land better, right? If I'm thinking about the receiver instead of what I want to say, or what makes sense in my mind. Okay. I love that. I'm not sure if you if you know this, uh, but I recently took a position uh, at LCTI. I teach advertising design now. Love this. This year was my first year. And, so fitting. Well, <laughs> that's what a lot of people say. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, boy, did I make a lot of mistakes. And boy, did I learn a lot about myself that first year. Oh, my God. And I'm Monday is year two, and I'm going yeah. in. The first year... I, I was in a dangerous position because I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I know what I don't know. See what I mean? Difference there. Um, I kind of went in and I made the mistake of thinking, cause I, cause I went, I was, I was at uh, LCTI, Lehigh County Votech. I studied there 39 years ago. That's, that's, I'm, I'm teaching the class that I was in. So talk about a full circle moment. So I went in there thinking, these designers or these students were all just me 39 years later. Not the case at all. Not the case at all. So I had to engage every single thing in this, probably why it resonated with me so much. I had to engage everything in this book that first year. And it, 
where it really came full circle for me was I, I did an exercise with them at the end of the year. And I said, guys, I said, listen, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be moving on to level two. I want you to write a letter to an incoming student. And I want you to tell them what you liked about the class, what you didn't like about the class, what you learned in the class, and what the, this student was going to be reading this, how to get the most out of the class. And I thought that was a pretty cool idea, right? Until my supervisor said, you know, you have to read those letters, right? And I was like, oh. Like that, but that's not how I set it up. So I hmm. read the letters and I can tell you that I could only get through two of them at a, at a time because they broke me down. They were, th they got it. They got it. They got everything I was trying to teach them about getting out of their comfort zone, um, challenging themselves. I, I brought in a, a public speaking component to, to, to the class. I made, we, we did, they did talks every Friday. Um, they hated it at first, but at the end, they were like, that, that, that helped, that's going to help me in other classes. And it was so, it was, it was great to be able to read those letters and, and, and get the feedback that I was so desperately needing, but they weren't going to tell me, but they told in the letters to the students. Now, um, I just, I just think to myself that, that everything I thought I knew about leadership, I, I had to go kind of like a little bit out the window when it came to teaching because everybody learns differently. It's like an organization. It's like I'm I'm leading this team, but they all learn differently. Some are more visual. Some are some want the rubric. They want to know like how they're going to be able to get the high score, and you have to be able to adjust your your approach. And I had to be able to adjust my approach approach to that. So I'm excited about going into to what I call season two. Um, because it's, I can bring in all that stuff that I've learned the first year now to, to the second year. I feel so. I got the chills when you said, you know, the, the letters broke me down, you know, it it's is. the piece of like teaching and, you know, I, I think really in just like helping people see what they can do, how they could be better. Right. Um, and then that seeing the transformation or watching the progression of that growth is like, there's no price tag on it. Um, nope. but two, you know, what you're sharing with listeners right now is really, you know, the spirit of be growth minded, but the learning never stops. Like we, we make a lot of mistakes as adults all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. But how do we see them and say like, what do I want to do about this? Right. Do I want to just continue to do that and escalate commitment that like too bad, so sad, or am I going to say, I'm going to pivot and adjust, right. And try to see it better or do it different or prioritize energy in a different way. And you know, that, that's something I think in all spaces in our life that like we have an opportunity as leaders to not miss that. Yeah. Michael, do you have, uh, did you ever have a, a teacher that kind of, um, you know, maybe inspired you or saw something in you that you maybe didn't even see for you? Because that's one of the things that I love about what teaching can do is a good leader or a good teacher and a teacher is a leader. Um, when they see something in someone that that person doesn't even see in themselves yet. And then when you see that, those two things kind of come together. Wow. Talk about magic. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Um, I mean, they, they, uh, no one's roughly told me anything like that, but what I can tell you about my, um, my experience with my, my professors and teachers is that, you know, I always, I always gravitated towards like a, a, a smaller school where I could, you know, have a more intimate and close relationship with, with the teachers, because, you know, I think I, I learned a ton that way. And that's how I learned and going back to kind of learning styles and, and how people best learn, you know, I needed that, that interaction. And, and my teachers were ended up being really my close, you know, colleagues down the road, you know, I've, I've leaned on them for, for mentorship, for, you know, for assisting me as I, you know, went on my academic journey. And so it inspired, they inspired me to kind of want to get into academia because of that nice relationship that, you know, they, that environment they created where we can continue our relationship after college and, and after school. So, you know, I think, I think inherently without saying it, I think you can tell that, that, pe that people kind of, um, you know, encouraged me to kind of go into academics and, and, and do that down the road. So it's certainly a good feeling when professors want to collaborate after, after you graduate with them or from, from the school and say, Hey, let's do something together. Um, that that's kind of, you know, an undertone of, you know, they saw something in me, I believe. So. Absolutely. And Katie, you get to experience that in your, in your role, certainly. Right. Yeah. Uh, quite frequently. And, and I'll echo what Mike said is I think that's where, you know, and I hear from alums, all the time, right? But 
the, the relationships evolve, right? And there's reciprocity of teaching and learning, right? Where I might have someone in the classroom, but I can learn just as much from them as they may have learned from me. And how do you continue to, you know, evolve and invest in those relationships and the people that you come across on your journey? I kind of, um, I kind of equated teaching to serving in the sense that um, there's days that you're going to just all the all the way you're going to hit all the waves they're all going to come in you're going to ride them all in perfectly and it's going to be wow and then you you go i'm doing that tomorrow no you're not <laughs> no you're not <laughs> and the next day you're, you can't even get up on the board and you got to be okay with that and i struggled a little bit with that at the beginning of the year in in my role because i i wanted to duplicate that amazing experience every day i couldn't even duplicate it i had two classes so i have an am and a pm I was even not able to do it. If the AM was like a great surfing day, the PM would be like crash and burn. I'd be like, I'd be like eating sand all day. And then think like, well, what did I, I didn't do anything different. So it's, it's, it's that mindset. It's getting that your head around the fact that like, this is just what it is, you know? And I, I know I made the mistake. This was the biggest mistake I went in. I, I went in as a thinking I was the creative director of this young agency. And these were all the designers and I'm going to teach them all. <laughs> like, we're like, oh, th that was like, whoa. No, not at all. You know, it's a level one class. So really, I'm kind of teaching them like the basics, visual literacy, you know, color type. We're we're not we're not diving deep into, you know, paragraph styles and InDesign. We're it's 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 more about getting them to get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, coming out of their comfort zone. I told them that I said, my job is to assign projects to you to help you discover yourself. And your job is to show up for that process. See how simple that is? That's, a, yeah. that's, a, that's, I can't make that any more simple. Just like the bees can't make it any more simple. <laughs> like if you, if you knew nothing about leadership and you read this book and you applied those principles, you'd be an awesome, amazing leader and you'd succeed beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. Two, two things I want to, I want to say, Bill, that in your example is, um, you know, first, it, you know, the, the surfing analogy is, I think we have to acknowledge every day that we're human, right? And we are going to have good moments and bad moments. We're going to have up days and down days, right? But let's not like stay down. Mm -hmm. Like let's not, right? Let's pick ourselves back up, right? And get back on the board again yeah. um, and, and use those as learning moments. But two, there's also, you know, the book is about you choosing who and how you want to be as a leader. And we get to choose that. Like we author our own story and our story impacts every single person that we touch along the journey. Right. And so in that space, you know, there's things like, and it was, this was resonating as you were saying, like, I might have a, you know, a, a section A and section B, and it might be two completely different experiences. And like, I remember kind of like the turning the mirror, you know, moment for me as a faculty member where I was like, wow, like I'm a high energy person, but why do I feel so tired and depleted you know, going into like the last class of the day, well, I'm an introvert. And so, you know, that was like me having the aha moment that like, I need alone time to recharge my batteries before I go into that next class of like, you know, not a lot of stimulation and not a lot of interaction and not a lot of, cause I can't bring my best self to impact with, you know, interact with those students, but how do you give yourself permission to be you, right? How do you give yourself permission to say like, I'm not going to do it the way Mike does but we're going to get to the same goal in really different ways. I love that. All right. It's, it's true. It's true. So I can tell you um, the one uh, I, I was in the field for 39 years. I did advertising and marketing and I was a designer and all, all that kind of stuff, billboards, newspaper, you know, I was at an agency for six years <clears throat> and I told, I told this story a couple of times on the podcast when it came to leadership. Uh, I was at Adams Outdoor for two years where I met uh, the, the most inspirational leader that I, I've ever experienced. Um, his approach to leadership was th this upside down pyramid. So in most leadership structures, the pyramid, the leader's at the top of the pyramid, right? Kind of like everybody is underneath supporting that person at the top. In his approach, he was at the bottom of the pyramid. The pyramid was inverted. And he was at the bottom holding everyone else up, giving, making sure they had what they needed, the tools that they needed to, to do and create, talk about that, uh, that safe environment. He created that safe environment. This is a person who would be in meetings, um, either creative sessions or, or, or sales meetings, 
And I, I didn't even, I didn't even realize how amazing this was until after I left the company. He would always be in the room. He was the general manager. He was in charge of every. He was in charge of everybody. He was the beekeeper, and he let everyone else conduct the meeting, and only would would respond when someone would ask him a question. He was not interjecting. He was not trying to put his stamp on what was happening. He let the bees do their work. And I just thought that was so, and, and if someone would ask him a question, he would be like E.F. Hutton, that old commercial where, you know, E.F. Hutton says, you know, an old reference, everybody stops because they don't want to listen. And he would always do that, that pause because he was thinking. He never would just like, you knew he was, he had to think about the answer because he wanted it to be correct. And I just thought, talk about a master class in leadership. And sadly, it was, I only got to experience that two years out of my career, out of 39 years. But I'm glad I got to experience that because boy, did that inform me and how I, I took everything I learned from him and brought it into all the other places that, that, that I, that I worked at as a creative director, you know, as a, as a marketing director, I was able to like kind of bring his leadership style. And now that I'm thinking about it, he was the ultimate beekeeper. That's what he did. He just tended to the hive. He let the bees do what they needed to do. I remember the one time I said to him, John, you want me to run this creative session? I don't know what happens. What happens in a creative session? And he said, that's for you to figure out. He says, all I can tell you is that I want you to give the reps the ability to speak intelligently about good design. That's it. Simple. You see the connection here about how yeah. a, a lot of this stuff is very simple, but we complicate it so much. You know, you look at a billboard on the road anymore. There's like 70 words on it. Who's reading that? Like simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. So, two years. I got to experience it. So it it can, Katie, to your point, it can be magic. It, it, yeah. it really can feel, you feel lit up inside when, you, when you're working with an inspired leader or you're working in an organization where there's a mission and it's not just make money. There's a real mission behind it. You know, yep. it, you can do transformative work. You really can. It can really feel amazing. So you're so right. I can't wait for John to hear what you just said about him. I did a whole podcast with him. He's my, he's my Zen guru on the mountain, you know, uh, and has been for, for all these years. Anytime I made a career move, I would talk to John and, you know, that, and that's what an inspired leader does for people. But I did a whole podcast with him um, two episodes back in season three. So I love that. So I have a question. Um, with the success of the book, are you are you guys gonna write another one? I want to put you on the spot. You know, Katie and I love to publish. So, you know, it's definitely uh we, we've gotten such great re um results from this book, and our publisher has, you know, already come to us and has talked to us about that. So that that that's very rewarding in and of itself. And you know, I think, um, you know, the, they, they gave great advice. They're like, you know, enjoy this, enjoy this journey, keep it, keep it going. You've got a great book, but you know, you have an opportunity now to, to kind of think about, you know, maybe, maybe replicating this. And, and uh, so, yeah, for certainly Katie and I will, we'll look at doing that down the road. Um, Katie, I don't know if I want to chime in and, and, and your thoughts there. Yeah, Mike and I are really goal oriented. And so, and so we're always talking about ideas, you know, for what's next, but I'll be excited to see similar to this book, right? It wasn't the first imagination of what we talked about. And so as we're talking about what's next, like I'm excited to see how that kind of evolves into like the next output um, yep. and however that follows this. I hope you still have that pizza box. Oh yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, that. That's an awesome story. I love it. Um, and I, I do love how I wrote this down in my, in my book, uh, it says, place yourself at the core of learning and growth. And you, you brought it up as well. And I just, I, I do love that. Um, because we don't talk about it. I don't think we don't talk about it enough in school that, you know, you're not going to stop. You're never going to stop learning. You should never stop learning. You should never want to stop learning. Um, so it really is, it, it's lifelong and it's, it's get used to that now because, uh, you know, you need it. If you're going to, if you're going to stay innovative, if you're going to stay current, if you're going to stay, you know, um, up to date on, on what's going on, you know, you've got to be open. You have to be open to it. You have to be open enough to the fact to realize that you don't have all the answers and you might not ever mm -hmm. have the answers. Yeah. Right. Why do so not many people sure. misunderstand that? Why? Yeah. We, well, 
Bill, so you're, you're actually illuminating right at the end of the book we learn and like spoiler alert for listeners who haven't read yet, you know, at the end, we, we use the, the learnings of bees and, and traditional beekeepers, right. In how we create a thriving hive. But at the end of the book, right. We kind of illuminate that as leaders, we're dropping that second E and we're saying as leaders, we want you to be beekeepers, B-E, right? You get to choose who and how you want to be. And so even if like you've been authoring a story for the last 40 years and you're reflecting back and saying like, wow, I was pretty fixed or wow, I'm really not showing up learning. I'm escalating commitment to like, I'm the expert, right? I'm the one with all the experience and I don't have anything to learn. It's not too late to turn the page, right? And to start to author that space of saying like, well, let me show up curious, And let me listen to understand and let me lean in. And similar to what Catherine, the protagonist in the book does is she doesn't even want to go on this, you know, vacation to a farm and she's imagining it's going to be just horrible. But when she gets there and she comes with an open mind and an open heart, right? She meets Henry that kind of inspires that lens check moment, similar to the moment you had at commencement to say, oh my gosh, I'm here right? And I'm, I'm interacting, I'm meeting someone that's giving me the opportunity to reflect, right? To be present, to think about, you know, the interaction on this vacation, but then how that propels back to the organization. And I think so many times in life, like we come across people who can inspire us to think about things in a different way or to choose a different lens. But if we're not open to it, we won't see it, right? And we won't embrace the opportunity to do that. 100%. Michael, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and I want to get your opinion on it because uh, it has to do with sales. So I right. went into sales for two years because I'm somebody that if if I can do a job and I get too comfortable with it, I I, I need a new challenge. So I was yeah. at the morning call, and I went into sales for two years, and I sold a product called the single sheet insert. It was inserts in the Sunday paper. Okay, so no one no one taught me. They taught me the, the the basic skills of like, this is the product. This is what it costs. This is how it works. Okay. I got that. So I started talking to customers and I would go see them and I would listen. I would ask questions and we'd get to the end of the, if we get to the end of the sales call and I would know they're not right for this. Like they're not there. Th- this is a specialized, like kind of like niche kind of like they're, they're, they're not at the point where they could use this, but I'm going to lose the sale. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would say, okay, you know, what do you, what do you think? And I would say, you know what, I got to tell you, um, I don't think this product's right for you. I think you, you need to be more, you need to be in the newspaper and attract a wider net. Cause this is really, if you're going to do an insert, you really need to know where your customers are coming from. And we don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. Boy, did that change the dynamic in the call? Because what they would say is, well, but you were here for two hours and you're not going to make the sale. And I would say this because I didn't know what else to say. This is just what I said. I said, that's not what I'm, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. Right. And I wasn't feeding them a line. That's just how I felt Mm -hmm. in my heart. And they said, okay, well, you know, we feel bad. I'm like, don't feel bad. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help you. And right now I'm telling you, you need to, to, to kind of know where your customers are coming from. And I said, listen, and in six months, if you're, you know, you, you know that, call me back. Do you know every single person called me back and I made yeah. that sale six months later? Now that might, now to a sales manager hearing this story, they might be like, what an idiot, right? Because you're, you, you have a goal in right now and you're walking away from money. You're walking away from your goal. Well, maybe it's why I only did it for two years, but I was more looking at it like what was the best for the customer? So mm-hmm. can you talk to a little bit about that as someone who is, uh, who's in sales? Was I doing yeah. the right thing or was I kind of, what should I have done there? I mean, I mean, certainly you're doing the right thing, right? I mean, that's a great story that I think, you know, should resonate with, with a lot of different, you know, sales professionals. You know, I think many of us, you know, when we take that approach of customer centricity and kind of understand the needs of the customer versus kind of our own, own needs, the, the sales will happen down the road. Th- those are, those are seeds that you planted, you know, certainly early on that, you know, bared fruit later on. And I think, I think customer interactions like that are, are really important. Um, and so, you know, just having been in sales, you know, we've all been in those situations where you may feel like there's a, you know, pressure to hit a sales number, but um, you know, if you take a step back and say, you know, what, what really are we doing for the customer? Though, though, like I said, those will, those will, those will bear fruit later on. And you just got the more activity that you do, the more interactions with the customers you have, the, the easier it'll be to establish those relationships and trust. So, you can perform at a high level, um, you know, consistently, uh, which is kind of what salespeople want to do, right? It's not these moments in time. It's 
creating an environment that you can have consistent sales performance growth over time and, and, uh, and, and do things for the good of the, you know, the good of the firm and the good in the organization. Um, but also being mindful of like, Hey, there, there's a, there's a bigger picture here of really helping the customers understand, you know, what they need to help grow their business. And I think most salespeople hopefully have that lens, um, uh, with their customers. And I just, I was, I was just thinking about this now, as you were talking, I, I kind of, I leaned in to my be curious is really yeah. cool to just ask questions like, why did you start this business? Wow, this is really interesting. How long, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, how, I just would ask questions. And within those questions would would come the answers that I would need about, you know, whether or not I could help them or not. But um, sometimes I would spend two hours and I would make the sale and I, because I thought th this is right for your business. But I, I wasn't comfortable selling something to someone that I knew wasn't going to benefit them. And all it was going to do is I was going to take their money and it wouldn't work and I'd never see them again. So I kind of went well, down. Kudos to you for doing that, right? I mean, that's a, that's, yeah. a, that's important to, to recognize. And, and the curiosities, kind of those intangible skills that, you know, you really need to have in, in, in sales because the curious salesperson is the, really a successful salesperson, in my opinion. But I also, but I never felt like I was doing it right. I felt like even though I was doing what was right by the customer, I didn't feel like I was doing it right. It, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's turning, turning down an opportunity, you know, potentially to sell something is, is tough, but I mean, you did do it right. I mean, I would shift the lens there. The, the right way to do it is to look at, you know, what the customers need and what they want, you know, and, 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 and you, it sounds like you referred a, a different, you know, competitor or a different kind of product. And, and I think, you know, equally you need to be, you know, all salespeople need to be well-versed in what's out there, especially if they have the, the customer in, in mind, um, competition and all. Well, the good thing about that was that I was the competition I was referring it to. I worked at the paper too, so oh, I would okay. send out another ref <laughs> to go referring it to another company. Right, it wasn't another company, but mm -hmm. um, even even with that kind of stuff, I always told people at the agency never badmouth the competition. Like, don't don't do that. It's not right, good. you know, there's there's just don't do it. You know, don't don't go down that road. So, and I never, I what I didn't realize at the time was how that dot was going to connect for me in the future, because as a creative person, as someone who had to sell creative, I had to learn mm -hmm. how to talk to customers and how to kind of pull out the points of, you know, what makes this campaign, why I think this campaign is going to be successful. So even though I, I wasn't the greatest salesperson in the world, um, that dot connected in a big way when I got into the agency and had to kind of sell creative as a creative director. So, yeah, well, I mean, that goes back to your, your whole point of like being proximal, right? I mean, being proximal is, you know, proximal by definition is putting yourself at the center, like it's the center of the body. So if you think about it medically, it's, it's really the center, uh, your torso, you're closest to your heart. And so we want people to think about that as placing themselves at the center of learning and growth. And so when you as a creative director, or you as a salesperson, really place yourself at the center of your customer's growth, what do they need? What's going to help them grow their business? You know, all of this kind of then kind of transcends and says they, they're doing it for the right reasons. They have our best interest in mind and that there's more commitment to, you know, work with you and more relationship and trust that's built, whether you're, whether you're selling a product or helping someone achieve a career goal. Uh, I, I think that that's being proximal in those situations is, is really important. Yeah. And I think in that scenario, everybody wins, everybody wins, right? It's not just mm -hmm. like one person winning over another. Or, you know, or, or making the sale and then just moving on to the next, knowing that like, well, I'll never see them again because that, that that's, it's not going to work. So mm -hmm. interesting. I wanted to ask uh, both of you, what's, what's something that you wish you knew when you were starting out that, you know, now like a lesson, okay, you take that first? Known, kind of like, I mean, I mean like a lesson you learned the hard way or like, boy, I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. Cause I got like 75 of them that I could share with you. <laughs> Um, you know, one of them, I'll give you an example. One of them for me is I wish I would have known growing up how closely aligned failure is to success because I always treated it as polar opposites and they're not, they need each other. So that's, that's one for me is that if you're not, you know, failure and success need each other, because if you're failing, it means you're trying things you're not comfortable doing. And that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to learn. So that's, that's a big one for me. So what do you guys you have? I think a big one for me, you know, goes back to something you opened with earlier, Bill, is, um, you know, that that 
there's so much strength and courage and vulnerability. And as a young person, I think I struggled, right? I, I was a, an athlete my whole life and, you know, played through college and very focused on the outcome, right? And the, you know, you know, personal performance and, um, and really not thinking about that space of like saying, I don't know, or, you know, um, I have a lot to learn or, you know, there's almost a humility, um, that I think I developed over time. Uh, but that really came in safe spaces, right. With mentors and people that helped me to realize, right. What can happen when you kind of lean into the vulnerabilities and something I really try to model, you know, today as, as a professional, you know, and of course in my personal space. How about you, Michael? Yeah, and, and and so um, you know, when we think about a lesson that maybe I learned early on that I think I can apply that, that applies today, you know, being patient, kind of coming out of our out of our book as a B mindset is it was really important. I, I think early on was very focused on achievement and goal oriented, which is great, right? Like getting to the next level, getting to the next promotion, getting to the next career uh, spot in my life, uh, you know, making the next you know, dollar. And, and I think that's great. I think we should be goal oriented and have a high sense of achievement. However, the be patient mindset is is critical because when, when you can kind of step away and say, okay, maybe I don't need to, to make a little more money or get a new job title. Maybe I need to do something different and take a demotion or maybe even move laterally to, to get a new skill and acquire new things. So I can be the best version of myself and the best organizational asset that is more meaningful, I think, to organizations and individually and in, in teams when you can have a, a broader perspective on the business, more skills. But but oftentimes early on, I was very focused on on moving through quickly. And and I've recognized very quickly that it's okay to be patient, do new things, try new things, challenge yourself, and then your career will grow exponentially when you have those skills that you've acquired to, you know achieve, you know, your ultimate goal, which is, you know, obviously contributing to the firm or the organization, and then, you know, being a, a good organizational asset, uh, you know, for, for the company. Um, so be patient, I think is something I wish I learned very early um, and not rush, rush through things. Yeah, I can agree with that one. And you know what, you do that, you make an impact, which is the biggest mm -hmm. thing of all. You impact the people around you, you impact your coworkers, you impact your clients, you impact, you have impact. So, um, so I'm I'm just this is a, I'm curious about this. Were there any uh, in writing the book? Were there any like disagreements or arguments that you guys had during the, or was it pretty easy to like decide what to the writing of it? Curious about that. No, I, I think uh, we get this question a lot, um, almost in every interview podcast we do because it, it, you know people talk about co-authorship and how difficult of a road that is, but. You know, if Katie and I probably didn't have our 10 years worth of experience writing in academic journals and going through very rigorous review processes where we're getting critical feedback and having to navigate it, the peer review process, um, you know, perhaps that could have happened. But but I think we, you know, we both know how to how to work with with each other. Um, and 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 there weren't too many really difficult disagreements, right, right, right Katie? Uh, but I, I do think that there was, there was one, there's one instance. I don't know if you want to talk about the work-life balance thing. So I think it, it was, was something that we talked about that had meaningful dialogue that ended up, you know, really resonating in the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, Mike, Mike illuminates, right. He, he and I are growth partners. So we have tough conversations and we disagree with each other probably on a daily basis, right. We, <laughs> we but we learn from each other. Right. And, but we have such high, you know, um, respect, for one another that I think it's easier to have those conversations to say like a completely different way. Right. And we can walk away from it and come back and revisit it. And to his point, the, the, you know, work-life balance was one where he said, you know, when you go on vacation, you shouldn't be sending emails. And I said, okay, well, that's the golden rule. Maybe that's what you want to do. But if we're enacting the platinum rule, right, there are people who go on vacation and I'm one of them. And, you know, I know people who have all different kinds of, you know, approaches that, you know, it might be really stressful to completely shut down and they want to check in or they want to just let, you know, they're, especially if you're, you know, an entrepreneur that you want your people to know that you're there if they need you, right. You're not going to create an environment where you're working your whole vacation. And so he's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a good point. It's really like, how do we 
compromise to like, everyone has a different style of balance and we operationalize balance in different ways as humans. How do we allow people the opportunity to unplug and refuel in the way that makes sense to them? And so Catherine, right, very intentionally sent those very early emails, right, on, on Monday mornings, even this, though she was writing them, right, at night or over the weekend, she's like, I'm not sending it until the morning. And so, you know, it was about kind of just understanding, you know, difference of, you know, how people operationalize balance. All right. We're near the end. I'm going to ask uh, each of you this, and this is a big one. How do you define success? What does success look like to you? personal you know i i think success obviously different for everybody but for me it's it's growth um you know i think that if i if i'm learning something new doing something new you know i think you're you're demonstrating success uh, you know certainly certainly there's a lot of ways to define success but like i know that I, that when i'm growing i'm i feel like i'm successful in life and that's one thing that aligns for me growth is one of my core values um, and so it, it's just a, a fabric of my being, right? And so I'm not successful unless I'm just ongoing learning and growth, but that's really like mind, body, soul for me. Okay. Guys, this was a lot. How of about you, Bill? How do you define success? For <laughs> me, I think, you know what? I, I, I've had a lot of conversations about this. Um, and my wife, Kelly, helped me with this one. Um, really impact the impact I leave for the people that I've helped and the people that I've helped, especially now with teaching, you know, and setting them up for their future. I think that's where, what I love about teaching so much is that I get to play a role in that, in their journey. You know, I'm meeting them on this path. We're only together for 10 months. And then, you know, can I, can I have an impact in their, on their life in a positive way? Love that. That's I love that. So powerful. You put a price tag on that because no, you don't. There's no price tag. The letter, the one letter that I got was not a letter that was put into the pile that was written for a former student. It was written directly to me. And this girl put it on my desk. She didn't hand it to me. And I keep it with me. And I'll probably always have it with me because it she wasn't she I I felt she had talent, but she didn't see herself as talented. She didn't. Every every time I tried to say this is really good, she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, no, it's really good. You're you're good. And she wrote something that just it just went right into my heart because she was like, thank you for never giving up on me. See, I can't even talk about it. I start getting emotional. You never gave up on me. You never your 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 passion for me wanting to get better never never wavered. Um, I will miss this class. You you had a great year. Thank you for being a great teacher. And she doesn't want to go into art, you know, but she she showed up every day for the process, sometimes unwillingly. And she felt like I I helped her. Like I I I in the sense that I I didn't give up on her. Do you know what I mean? It would have been easy to kind of give up on her. It would have been easy to just yeah. kind of just say, like, you know, you're not really suited for that. And I would never tell anyone that, you know, really suited for this. Uh, maybe you should look at some look to get. I didn't do that. I just kept, I kept at it with her and it 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 resonated with her and this was a this was a tough girl this wasn't a girl that was like you know something that was easy to kind of like write something like that I, I didn't even know she was capable of that type of deep emotion and she was so to me that's impact that's, that's and, and and what you're identifying is like the reciprocity of impact right so you mm-hmm. impacting her and then that feeling that you get back of right of being able to give in that way it's so powerful I love it. I'm surprised. I'm surprised how much when, when these kids, because so many of these kids are, they really are talented. And when I don't think a lot of people are telling them that because when I tell them, they get very uncomfortable. They're almost like, well, you have to say that you're our teacher. I'm like, no, I don't. If I don't like something that you're doing, I don't have to tell you I like it just because I want to, I don't, first of all, that's not who I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I try to, I'm not, I'm not going to be that person, but I'm going to, I'll find something good if I believe it. And then I'm going to tell you, but they, they get uncomfortable with it. They get uncomfortable with the compliments. And when someone tell is telling them that they're, you're doing good, keep going, make it in. I love this phrase. Uh, one of my art teachers told me, make an intelligent mess. That's all I need you to do. Make an intelligent mess. I can tell when I love that. I can tell when be, you're be messy. 
Yeah. It, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you, you might look at it and feel like it's a failure, but I'm looking at it and thinking, yeah, but look at how much it improved from the previous project. You're on the path. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. So guys, I love talking to you. I could talk Great. all day about this. This is a topic that I think is much needed leadership. Um, I love the book so much. I, I, there's, I tell everybody about it. Um, and I, I, when I posted it to LinkedIn, there's a couple people, I think that the one, one of my friends said, this is exactly what I was looking for. So I think there's, I might've been able to help you move a couple copies. So I don't know if Thank it, you. but I'm We're so you know, grateful. I, I do appreciate you. Yeah. I really did get into it. I, I, and I'm being serious about that. I, I, I read it. And as soon as I read it, I reached out to you, Katie. And I said, I want to get, I want to have you guys on my podcast. And you were like, absolutely. Tell us, tell me when, and here we are. So thank you for doing this. I'm appreciative. I'm being appreciative uh, right now. And uh, <laughs> I would say one last B to you would be um, be well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bill. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. This was a blast. Take care. Thanks, Bill. Bye-bye. All right, Ad Yackers. Hope you enjoyed it because we have many more great conversations planned and guests lined up ready to yak it up. Ad Yak is sponsored and produced by ASR Media Theme song was written and performed by Dan Ross. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Stay hungry, stay humble. Till next time. This episode of Adyak is rated O for, oh man, that was good. 